What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Today, we are going to be talking about the season premiere of season two of Deep Space Nine. I can't believe we're already here. We're going to be talking about the homecoming. Mike, it's a homecoming for you. You are back uh, in your regular studio. We actually recorded this episode uh, already, uh, but uh, the Road Studio did not save it. So uh, get ready for some leftovers for us, but it's new to you. How's it going, Mike? It's going great. I'm so excited to be home. I uh, I missed my studio. I missed my comfy chair. Uh, the, you know, the worst part about that, aside from the donkeys, which were very pleasant, was the chair I was sitting on was just so uncomfortable. And so the thought of having to redo this episode <laughs> when it didn't save was mm. an absolute misery. So I'm so happy to... Uh, to redo it from the, the luxury of my own home and having thought about the episode a little bit more. Will it change our opinions? Probably not, but at least it was long enough ago that I've forgotten. Yeah, well, I was going to say, like, uh, it, it might change our opinions, but Lord knows we won't remember them. So mm-hmm. it that part of it will be new to us. Uh, but we are excited to be here in Season 2 um, of Deep Space Nine. You know... It's funny, like I'm beginning season two and I've I've been having some thoughts about okay. season two. I'm looking ahead into uh, what is going to be on our plate over the next few weeks. And uh, season two is better than season one, but there are there's still going to be some sequences where we're going to grind a little bit. But uh, But don't worry, because at the end of season two is going to be the shift is going to be the turn. Okay. That that things will never be the same after the end of season two. So, uh, but but here we are. Uh, I'm excited to get into it, and I'm also excited to tell you about our Patreon. Yes. You can find it at well Patreon.com/slash/KNM. Uh, and on there, you're going to have all sorts of really fun bonus materials, including uh, allowing yourself to watch Mike watch Deep Space Nine. That is our big ticket item. That is that is our, our big one. It's very exciting. We also have bonus episodes, which we know we owe you, and we're going to do some more. We're going to do some AMAs. And uh, on top of that, I have I have now discussed it. It's official. It's going to happen. We are going to interview Ooh. my brother, the uh, Emmy-nominated sound effects designer on Star Trek Voyager and Star Trek Enterprise, Uh, We are going to uh, talk about his career and his life. And then, perhaps just for the patrons, we are going to start breaking down some of the iconic sounds that he developed himself, um, including uh, a lot of uh, sounds that were recorded on my family's property, uh, including uh, the sound of every time you hear the uh, Starship Voyager get hit and rumble or whatever, I can tell you how that sound got made, and it got made in my childhood backyard. So lots of fun stuff to talk about there. Uh, so check it out at patreon.com slash KNM. Mike, who are our patrons at the moment? So glad you asked. Brian Kaufman, Casey Clark, Cloud Lover 69, Jorge Navoa, and the mysterious Alan Zimmerman, CRM Productions, Charles Babbage, Kyle Sweeney, and a couple of other folks still paying us over uh, on the Anchor platform for our old podcast, That Is Dead. Uh, so, it's not dead. Well, the Out of Practice podcast about David E. Kelly's award-winning series, The Practice, it is not dead. It is now just archived. Yes, so it's, you it's can over. you can listen to us discuss that show 
uh, for countless, quite literally well, you countless know, hours. You stumble upon a great show, you're watching it, and you realize they canceled it in season two and it just never finished, and you're like, oh, you feel all incomplete. This one, folks, it goes the whole way. And the guess what? Way. If you're not interested, just jump right to the finale. Keith wrote a musical, and it's worth listening to. It's, it's really something, and it is also proof for those people uh, watching or listening to this, we're going to get to the end of this. We are not the type of people who get like, you know, a season and a half in and like, eh, nobody's listening. We didn't let nobody listening stop us from uh, continuing the Out of Practice no, podcast. No, we did not. So we will finish this, whether you're listening or not. So, uh, Mike, what do you say? We talk a little bit about the homecoming. Yes. I'm excited about it. So, uh, first off, let us discuss when this aired. This aired on September 26, 1993. Uh, we had the summer off between uh, seasons, and uh, I was beginning seventh grade. It was a terrible, terrible year, but at least I had Star Trek to come back to, uh, which I very much appreciated. The top song, uh, Mike. Uh, have you warmed up? Have you have you <clears throat> done your vocalises? Yes, I have. Me, 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 me. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I'm feeling good. Okay, great. Well, you're going to be singing for us today, Mariah Carey's "Dream Lover." Oh no, dream. I can't hear myself. I can't hear myself. <coughs> I'm walking off the stage. Something like that. Did I get the diva right? Uh, I I don't know what happened there, but uh, I think we all could appreciate it. And uh, just because I, I think we should do another little piece of information here for season two, and that is what else is going on in Trek the day before this aired liaisons mm. of the next generation aired. Uh, so on a diplomatic mission, Worf, Troy, and the captain deal with three aliens who explore foreign concepts with extreme singular focus. Uh, so I think it's important context, right? Because uh, I was definitely watching both of these at the same time. I also might have been watching the top movie on September 26, 1993, which was The Good Son, starring Macaulay Culkin and Elijah Wood. I think it was some sort of like evil... Yeah. Macaulay Culkin at this point, uh, they wanted to, he was he was such a giant star after Home Alone, they're like, let's make him evil, I think. But I don't particularly remember. The New York Times headline talked about the, a Russian says Soviet atomic arsenal was larger than the West estimated. This was uh, right after the fall of the Soviet Union, or at least within five years of that. And they were discovering, oh, wow, yeah, they had... Uh, a, a much bigger capabilities than we in the West knew at that point. Uh, can't imagine how that might play out again. Seems to track, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, The Homecoming was directed by Weinrich Colby, who last directed Vortex. It has a teleplay by Ira Stephen Bear and a story by Ira Stephen Bear and Jerry Taylor. Of course, Ira Stephen, uh, Stephen Bear uh, eventual showrunner of Deep Space Nine, very important to the run of the show, and Jerry Taylor is very important as one of the creators of Star Trek Voyager, okay. which they were already beginning to spec out at this point, uh, but had not started casting yet. Um, so a lot of big Star Trek minds on this episode. 
you want to know what else is big and important? I do. Our very important trivial trivia, Mike. Oh, Keith, thanks so much. Yeah. Now, Keith, waste your time with trivial trivia. Okay. Well, uh, first off, we have a uh, a pretty big guest star. Um, uh, Frank Langella is here as an uncredited actor at his own request. He uh, says he did the show for his kids and not for money or fame. And uh, uncredited yeah. and uncancelled. Uh, uncan pre-canceled. Yeah, pre-canceled at this point. Uh, Netflix had not fired him yet because Netflix did not exist. Uh, but anyway, so that was happening. Uh, also, in terms of crediting, which I think is interesting, Mark Alimo now gets credited with his character name, huh. uh, which is a distinction that most of the major recurring characters would eventually get. But he was the first one to get it um, as uh, as Gull Ducat. Also, the canyon that they shot in here, uh, the whole rescue and battle scene, uh, would also be a setting for several more important episodes. Uh, apparently, it was miserable to film in because it was crazy hot. But as we will talk about when we talk about the episode, what it did for the production values to actually go out into the world and go into this canyon and uh, and shoot both literally and figuratively made a big difference. And we'll see it again on some very iconic episodes of Deep Space Nine. And lastly, Michael Piller, the showrunner at the time, tasked the writers of season two to focus more on unique Deep Space Nine stories as opposed to uh, trying to have as many ties with the next generation as possible. Um, so, which of course makes sense. You've, you've gotten through your first season. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think the ratings were as big as Next Gen yet, obviously, um, but they were certainly solid enough. They were going into season two and they were, you know, it's time to take the training wheels off and start telling some more specific stories, uh, which I thought was great. So the guest stars this week included, of course, Mark Alimo as Ducat, Max Grodenchik as Rom, Michael Bell as Borum, um, who will do two episodes of Deep Space Nine. And he is also Zorn in the encounter at Farpoint, the pilot of The Next Generation, also Michael. Also what we do to our listeners every week. Zorn? No, his last name, Borum? Oh, oh, oh. So, I, I, you know, if we bore him enough, they might snorm. Wow. <laughs> I can't believe that you you met my challenge and exceeded it. So, uh, well done. There, there was a low bar, and boy, did I get under it. Yeah. I just dove under the standards of that. Uh, other guest stars, Frank Langella, of course, as we mentioned, as Minister Jaro who was an Oscar nominee for Frost Nixon. He was also Skeletor in Masters of the Universe. And, of course, Richard Bamer as Lee Nollis. Now, Mike, I asked you this the first time. Now I'm going to ask you again and see if you remember, because we did all of this, what is Richard Bamer famous for? It's a movie that I should remember. Mm -hmm. a in an a what horror do we movie, do? a horror movie, no. TV what do show. What we do for a living? Yeah, we act. What, what Famous Broadway show. He oh, in, and, 
Yes, go ahead. I was going to say Nurse Ratchet, because that, but that's trivia from a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Michael, we are musical theater performers and writers. Uh-huh. And he has a very famous musical theater tie-in, which I told you about. You we, gave me a clue before, and it helped. Multiple times. <laughs> the, I think the clue was I just told you what he was. I can't believe that I've... I mean, I can believe that I've completely forgotten, but I've, I can't believe that I've completely forgotten a second time. Well, Mike, something's coming. Uh, the original, he was the original Tony in West Side Story, the movie. There you go. Well played. Wow. Well, that was time everyone spent. Uh, hope we didn't bore him. Okay, what do you say? Nailed it the second time. Nailed it. <laughs> this is the second time we recorded this episode. All right, well, what do you say we go into our screening room and talk about this episode? Mike, sing us in. Okay, folks, here we are in Deep Space Nine, Season 2, Episode 1, The Homecoming. And we begin our teaser showing off all these happy aliens at Quark's. Uh, We sort of uh, zoom through the set a little bit. We see all the extras and all the cool alien effects. And it feels a little bit like a celebratory way to begin Season 2. Like, hey, check it out. We're here. We're happy. We're doing it. Um, Very similar to... uh, the beginning of season uh, two of Next Generation. They sort of began, I think it was The Gift, where they just started with some just cool heroic music and shots of the ship flying around. I think it was a little bit of like, we made it to season two. I can't believe it. Let's celebrate a little bit. You know, I wanted to ask you, Keith, and I forgot to do it last week, um, Mm. because of just the machinations of how I'm trying to capture the screenshots and everything, I am not watching this on... Uh, Discovery Plus, or no, what? Not Discovery Plus. Uh, Paramount, Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus. I'm watching uh, a ripped copy, but I did notice a distinct saturation and color difference between season one and two. I don't know if that's just the way I acquired it, or if it was noticeable on the on the on the feed as well, because it seemed like it was definitely a little. The clarity was better, and the color seemed deep, a little deeper. Uh, I don't think on Paramount Plus there's a huge amount of difference. There it was probably the rip. Okay. Um, but it, but certainly the the color and clarity of Deep Space Nine is something that uh, us fans really think a lot about. Wishing, hoping, praying for the remaster, the HD remaster that the original series and Next Gen got. Did it kick um, into HD at any point during the run? No, it never did. Um, this was well before HD, and. Uh, However, as as was true of all the original Star Trek series, it was shot on film, on 35-millimeter film. So uh, it is definitely possible to go back in there, rescan it, and redo it. But it's an enormous, painstaking process that cost a lot of money. And they did it for Next Gen, and it's glorious and beautiful. They had to redo a lot of the effects because the effects were, were done on video um, after it had been taken off of the film. So... They had to sort of redo them in the style of. Mm. 
so and they had to literally go back in the archives and recut, figure out every single frame, um, cut it again, edit it again, and post-process all of it again. So enormous amount of work. And they thought, oh, we're going to make all of this money, though, because we're going to sell the Blu-rays, and uh, it's going to be great. Well, by the time they finished it, they were three, two, one. Nobody does even Blu-rays anymore. The physical medium is dead. So uh, that's why they haven't done the rest of them, because they didn't make any money on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, though, that obviously it would be so much better to go back and, and remaster the whole thing right from the original negatives. But at the very least, at the very least, people are doing AI upgrading just off of this original footage at home on their computers. Paramount Plus can't just, like, run their files through through this program and at least give us that mm. it's not, it's obviously never going to be the same, but like it can be a little better than this uh, with, I mean, I could do it myself here on this computer. So anyway, that was a very long discussion staring here at Quark. Uh, well, we're still in the teaser. They haven't even gotten anywhere. Uh, so we begin with Odo and Quark flirting as usual, but this time, Odo was suspicious because some of the information that Quark gave him, it actually panned out. And Quark told the truth? So that's weird. Uh, and after he leaves, Rom is also confused, and Quark tells him the 76th rule of acquisition. Mike, do you remember the 76th yeah, sometimes rule you gotta, of acquisition? you got to throw a bone to your buddies because uh, it throws them off. Sort of. Uh, if you go into the actual original text, uh, as, as a textualist we are here, uh, it's every once in a while, declare peace. It confuses the hell out of your enemies. So, uh, cute little beat there. Then, uh, Quark heads upstairs and runs into a leather pants alien lady, and, uh, he wants to give her a black hole. But, uh, instead, she gives him an earring that he needs to get to Bajor, and uh, shows it's a Bajoran earring that she got from a Cardassian, and it's important. And I'm a, immediately suspicious. I mean, look at that costume design. That's, so good. There's, there's a lot going on there. Uh, the purple hair. It, I You know, I always thought about that. The hair color on our alien creatures are rarely purple or, you know, orange or blue or something, something interesting. And I don't, you know, I think there's a little bit of a... Uh, uh, an earthism going on there where the all the color hair color tones are sort of in our palette. But I feel like that's cool. That's a cool look. It's a cool alien. Uh, yeah, I was actually kind of hoping to see more of this character. I uh, think Quark was too. He might have already. I mean, it seems like they had some sort of history. So, uh, yeah, but we don't. But so We don't. Th thank you for your time. She looks a little bit like the Predator, no? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, she looks like a predator at least. Yeah, a predator, but you know, like hot. <laughs> like hot predator. Here, you heard it first. Hashtag Mike wants hot predator. Hunt this. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, so uh, she gives him an earring suspiciously for free. It just said, here, take this. Uh, Quark, suspiciously, again, takes us right to Kira, who is praying in her quarters. They also spar and flirt, but then Quark shows her the earring. Wait, hold on. She, I wanted to point this out. <clears throat> um, this, uh, if we zoom up a little bit on the screenshot here, 
Look at that. Kira, even in the future, got a smallpox vaccine. Well, you know, it's important. Mm-hmm. And apparently we, uh, apparently uh, enough of us chose not to take the smallpox vaccine in our current day. So they had to keep vaccinating oh, for it because we couldn't eradicate it because America. So uh, she recognizes the earring immediately and wants to know where Quark got it. And she takes it from him and runs off. And that is the end of our teaser. That's also after he's a little forward and like tries to peek at her naughty bits. And she's like, no, I'm just putting on a sweatshirt. Yeah, because she she definitely like, yeah, she went into a dressing room to put on a sweatshirt. Yeah, literally to put on a sweater. I don't, she didn't change anything else. She just put the, her coat on. But whatever, I wouldn't want Quark peeping at anything anywhere. But there you can see the Bajoran earring. Uh, it's a great prop. Like that would be a good if you were a collector, it'd be a good prop to have. Yeah, you can tell when they're proud of a prop because you get that nice, that nice close-up. Nice close-up, and and you can see that Armin Shimmerman had to put on that greenish, bluish nail polish every time. I I wonder how often he actually put it on because obviously this is a hero hand shot. You're gonna you're mm-hmm. gonna do it, but for most scenes, did they bother with that? Well, Chances are they did. Yeah, I think so. We did um, black nail polish for the Adams family and. I have to say, Keith, the it's a pain in the butt to have to continually reapply it. But fringe benefit, I bite the hell out of my nails, but I stopped. I broke the habit. Oh, how about I, that? I, I came back with nails. Wow, congratulations. See, we're all growing here mm-hmm. on Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. I'll grow some more if you bring in that hot predator again. Ooh, there you go. So in Act One, uh, Jake tracks down his father on the promenade. And he has news, and he's excited. He's asked a girl out, and she said yes. And uh, he's asking his dad for advice on what to do. He wants to take her to the hollow suite. Hell no. Cisco's like, hell no. And he's like, what if we just go to our quarters? And he's like, hell no again. And uh, they have a cute father-son talk, and and it's sort of uh, Cisco's like, I don't think you're ready for that. And... uh, Jake's like, I don't think you're ready for me to be dating. It's a, I great think it's beat. just a great, great, great beat. It's a, it's a great beat for their relationship, for the father sonness of it. It felt very um, human and it feels like an, an interaction we've always had. Uh, I, I'm assuming, Mike, you had, uh, you had rules about uh, where the, uh, where the ladies could be. Nobody or upstairs and we were allowed down the basement, even though there was never any supervision in the basement. So you could, uh, <clears throat> enjoy private time in the basement. However, my dad was a weird kind of cat, and we didn't have a door on our basement. Covering the basement was a wrought iron gate, like a freaking castle, so that you could see down there and you could hear down there, so you couldn't get full privacy in the basement. Wow, wow. Sneak around in the shadows. Well, I prevented that by having no girls like me, so... <laughs> No worries. Be in the basement. Be upstairs. Go to the hollow suites. Who cares? Well, this this brings up a conversation we had early in our podcast, Keith, and and I I, I bring it to you again, and I bring it to our audience again. So on on Deep Space Nine, then there must be like a movie theater, right? Is that still a thing? Are there still theater? Because you would think that now, with, even with Oculus Virtual Reality, 
you realize mm. that oh you can you probably would go to the hollow suites to like catch a film to get the theater experience like an old movie theater or you would probably go and watch a baseball game or an old like relive the a world series game in the hollow suites so if you take the hollow suites out of the equation what is there to do recreation like would you go is there why would you why why would the expense of building a bowling alley in deep space nine be more or less than just recreating one in a hollow suite well, I think the issue would be um, the hollow suites themselves are very expensive to build and they require a lot of energy. So you just don't have enough of them mm. for everybody to use. Um, I think if they had if they had enough energy and 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 money and resources to create them, I mean, you got half the half that station is giant. So you could just make 400 hollow suites if you wanted to, but that was never sort of an option. In terms of watching movies, I think we we sort of learned this, and a lot of it is we we get this from Voyager. Um, is that the concept of just sitting and watching a narrative film is it, it feels like child's play to mm. people in that time period? They want to go to the hollow suite or the holodeck and have it be interactive. They want to play a they want to play a character. They don't want, like just watching somebody do something. It's like us listening to a radio play, and that I think that that's that's sort of where they're at. So um, anyway, I want a hollow suite, but I don't have one. So uh, after that, Kira arrives, and uh, Kira and and Cisco head to the replimat for Rock to Gino and Eichel and an Eichelberry tort. Uh, Mike, do you remember what Rock to Gino is? Um, no, I I I feel like it's something we do in Philly when we're hungry. We we rock over to Gino's and get a cheesesteak wit. Yeah, yeah, I go to Pat's. Uh, Actually, I, go I, to neither. I neither like neither of those. You should go to John's, or you should go. There's plenty of other places. Angelo's. Come on. Yeah, well, well there enough. Deep cut for Philly folks. Uh, but uh, no, Rock the Gino is Klingon coffee. Oh yes, you're right. Rock the Gino. Rock the Gino. They like well, that dumb coffee. Rock. The, okay, I'm gonna. I'm firing up now. I'm finally getting up to speed. <laughs> <laughs> Mike is starting to cook. Well, great. Well, in- enjoy that world. Uh, so we uh, we see the new Replimat set. They've done some cool lighting gizmos, and you can see that you've got sort of the bubble effect going on, and uh, it's a new set. So I don't know if we've uh, we've talked about it, but the uh, on the the Deep Space Nine promenade ring, because obviously it's the the promenade is supposed to be a full circle. It, which is the inner circle on the uh, on if you see the Deep Space Nine from the outside, they built a third of it for the actual set. But as they were, as the series progressed, they built out more and more pieces of it. So this was a new piece that they built for season two, uh, the Replimat set. So all of these these cool lights, and so we find an excuse to go hang out on the new piece of set, which is why. In so many ways, as this series goes on, it starts to feel more and more real and more lived in. And part of that is the storytelling and the characters, but also the set itself mm-hmm. is filling out and they're filling in the details. And that's great. Um, so Kira wants to buy, borrow a run amount. Words. Kira wants to borrow a runabout, but doesn't want to say why. She says, Well, she's Keith, heading you know, to- that is what I want to do with the Lady Predator. Run and mount. Gross. (laughs) 
gross. That's that's terrible. That's ter what what I want to know in the in in Mike's head the wheels are turning and they're like this is a th oh I've I've come up with something to say right so the first off first part of the you wheel is I like I stand by it I stand by it <laughs> I've come up with this then there's a second thought process like should I say this and Mike's like hell yeah this is something I want on the internet Go on. It's like that scene in the in the Hollow Suites with uh, with with uh, what's his name, Michael Dorn and um, the the Lady Klingon, <laughs> Worf and the Lady Klingon. That's that's, and, that's what I'm picturing. And Kalar, yes, yeah. and uh, on the uh, and the Next Generation. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Keith, continue. Oh my God, where was I? Okay, so Kira doesn't want to say why she wants to run about. Then she immediately says that she's uh, headed to Cardassia 4 to rescue a Bajoran prisoner of war. And she explains that the earring that she found, or that Quark found, was owned by famous Bajoran leader, Lee Nollis. But the Bajoran government doesn't want to risk a rescue. The provisional government is showing cracks, and Bajor is in desperate need of a leader. Uh, we're starting to hear rumblings of things falling apart. Um, on Bajor, which is frequently happens after an occupation like that. And Kira thinks that Lee Nollis could be the leader that helps solidify the government. Then O'Brien calls Odo and Cisco to see that somebody has spray-painted a symbol for the circle, a xenophobic extremist group on Bajor, basically their version of the Klan. Uh, and they want to get all non-Bajorans off of the planet and off of the station. And uh, Odo and Cisco are immediately concerned. Um, it's a story, it's, it's sort of a, an, an adversary, it's a story beat that I think makes a great deal of sense when you have instability and a lack of leadership, uh, you know, certainly xenophobia and that sort of extremist beliefs can easily crop up and be fostered in this. But uh, I don't know if in the, in. Space Clan. Uh, I don't know what they're what uh, about their choice of spray paint. Well, they went with safety yellow, so you know it'll be visible um, even in those dark, the darkest of nights. So you know, mm. and and on uh, standard definition four by three aspect ratio, yeah, right. it uh, it really sticks out. But it's not as intimidating as perhaps they were hoping. Uh, but in in canon, in context, it is certainly something to be concerned about. So in Act Two. We find Cisco playing with the baseball when Dax comes into his office. Uh, she confesses that she doesn't like talking about baseball the way Curzon did, which is an interesting wrinkle about the taste changing with the new hosts. Uh, Mike, do you remember where Cisco got the baseball? Yeah, from uh, oh, what was his name uh, in the well? It was in the in the Rumpelstiltskin episode, and uh, mm -hmm. Buck 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 Bakai threw him the ball. Yes. Well done. Well done. You, you know, if we record an episode twice, you got two bites at the apple, mm -hmm. and this one, you nailed it. Um, but I do think it's it is interesting that um just a little little Dax nugget here that the tastes and interests really do get negotiated through all of the various hosts. And so you might 
I, I, I can sort of imagine it being a bit of a, a democracy in there, right? So she's if she's the uh, the seventh host, she's got three votes for yes baseball, three votes for no baseball, and uh, Dax as the current host probably gets the tie-breaking vote on whether or not we are interested in baseball. Uh, so Cisco is concerned about the instability on Bajor. Dax already knows about Kira's plan to rescue Lee Nollis. Uh, but uh, Cisco's concerned about the Cardassians, but she reminds him that they had already said they released all of the Bajoran prisoners. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna like go and uh, and do the sneaky Robbie kind of a thing. But if you catch us, you shouldn't have been here too. So we're both the bad guys, which I think uh, makes sense. So uh, Cisco gives the nod. As, uh, as only Avery Brooks can, he then asks O'Brien to come up with a technobabble solution to make the runabout look like a different ship on sensors. So uh, they've all got the plan. There's the nod. Mike, give, give, us, give us a Cisco nod. Excellent. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. Well played. Well played. Later in Kira's quarters, Cisco assigns O'Brien to help. He's a better pilot and knows the Cardassians well. Now, Mike, do you remember how O'Brien knows Cardassians? Uh, well, clearly he shops there because he's got that sweet, sweet deep V jacket mm. that they were like, you know what, give him a T-shirt. I think originally they went no T-shirt and uh, Colin Meany was like, hell no, oh, ah. So they gave him Hell nice no, little, but yeah. they still gave him a, a, a very swooping bit of a uh, bit of... O'Brien cleavage there, but uh, answer the question. Was it, was it the storyteller? He went down and like interacted with all those friends. That was on Bajor, and those were Bajorans. Yeah, right. What was the question you asked me originally? <laughs> <laughs> wow! Wow! Keith, run! I forgot how much tech there is to run when when I'm when I'm doing the OPS. <laughs> I asked, how does O'Brien know about Cardassians? I don't know. Didn't he work? I don't know. I'm just guessing. Mike, now, even though we have promised our patrons bonus episodes every month, we've only actually recorded one bonus episode yes, that's of The right. Next Generation. And it was like this, this soft, soft pilot of this show, and they... Uh, what did they do? I don't remember it now. I'm gonna have to go watch. I'm I'm not a patron, so I didn't see. <laughs> I, mean, I don't get to rewatch. <laughs> Stop asking me questions. O'Brien fought in the Cardassian Wars, oh. and oh. Uh, on, you know, and and under Captain Grissom, it wasn't Grissom. I forgot what the captain was. Um, How dare you? But on a different ship, he did a lot of uh, of deep dark war against the Cardassians. And so when he talks about what Cardassians do to their prisoners, he knows from personal experience. So, uh, which is why he is a good person to send on this mission. Okay, so uh, as they pull out of the station, Kira tells him that she's planning to get Lee Nollis back or die trying. And uh, O'Brien's like, cool, cool, yeah, 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 let's do that. As opposed to, we're gonna get him back or try again tomorrow? Yeah, well, I mean, they had to raise the stakes. But more importantly to me, 
I I recognized maybe they did they upgrade the the runabout set because I want to be in it. Like it's so yeah. much fun. There's all kinds of gasmos and gas gadgets and gizmos and and practical things you can touch and play with and beep and boop. I want to recreate one of those, buddy. What do you say? Let's get some, let's get our patronage up and like let's build one. I I think that's a great that's a great plan. And uh, so after after you uh, after you after you run down that that poor uh, sexy predator, uh-huh. hopefully you'll have a gasmo. Oh boy, we're in trouble. <laughs> we might have to redo this a third time. <laughs> <laughs> this is terrible it's not great it's definitely this not is, great oh we're so close to hitting the 500 subscribers so i can release wrath of neener and this is going to drop down to like 150 after this episode so uh anyway the uh, next three begins they're half an hour away when they get detected that they're they're being scammed they're hailed it's time to test o'brien's fake shields they pretend they pretend to be a Lesepian transport ship called the Martok. Hmm. I guess they might have saved that name for later, because uh, Martok is a very important person on Deep Space Nine. But Mike hasn't met him yet. I, this is my favorite part when I realize how much of the best things about Deep Space Nine Mike has not yet seen. That's true. So that's kind of fun. Kira bluffs well, and they get through and arrive at Cardassia 4. She uh, she says they're bringing over some uh, some stuff for a uh, gull and makes just makes up a gull on the fly, but apparently the person on the other side was gullible enough to believe. So they scan the labor camp and discover that uh, there are actually a dozen Bajoran prisoners there as opposed to just Lee Nollis. And we find out that they can't beam up more than two at a time. So they're going to have to land, uh, which is good because it justifies all of that awesome, actual, uh, you know, uh, practical set. We arrive at the labor camp, and there the prisoners are appropriately throwing rocks into baskets. Um, right on the surface, they're just going to pick up a rock and put it into a basket, and somehow in... Uh, in the future, in the Empire of Cardassia, whatever rock they're putting into a basket is worth uh, <laughs> risking the instability of the quadrant and owning all of these uh, these prisoners, whatever. So uh, Kira and O'Brien walk up to the perimeter. O'Brien puts on a silly voice and they pose as a prostitute and a pimp. The guard, of course, wants to hire her and lets her through the force field. And uh, she naturally beats him up, and we shoot the guards. So we begin a big old firefight here in the canyon. They find Lee Nollis and run off with the prisoners. And the firefight looks so much better because yeah. they're not on the cave set on Paramount. We're actually in a real quarry, and they allows them the space. Because uh, honestly, I think a lot of it is just having the distance between the people that you can have a more realistic firefight because you're not 12 feet away from your adversary. But also, listen, this brings up a little bit of a wormhole. I know how you're going to try to explain it because we've I think we talked about this last time. O'Brien's like too good of a shot for being an engineer. Like, But he did fight in a war, so I guess you could say that the phaser has like some sort of auto lock, but the bad guys miss a whole bunch. 
Well, yeah. Well, I mean, because you know they're they're Star Wars bad guys. They're stormtroopers. Uh, but but yeah. I mean, O'Brien. Look, he was in he was in war. Like O'Brien is a war vet, okay. and he has he has. This is not his first phaser battle. Um, he's got a sort of a dark past. For it's the, so nice, like on a practical set when you can like there's stuff to hide behind and jump off up, and climb and stuff. It just looks better. The whole fight sequence was one of their better ones because of that. I think it's I think it's not only the best one we've seen on Deep Space Nine thus far. I think it's the best one we've seen on Star Trek so far. Because um, Next Gen was not known for its immensely exciting phaser battles. I'm thinking uh, back to like that episode we watched with Mike from Breaking Bad with like two cl- the two mm-hmm. warring clans that were stuck on the planet endlessly warring and how bad all of those action sequences were compared to like this one which is just like an opening sequence. So much better. Yeah. So much better. Um so uh they run off with Lee Nollis. The four of the prisoners stay behind and sacrifice themselves to help Nollis get away and they have to leave them behind. Um, thus showing how important Lee Nollis is even to the other prisoners. Um, so, uh, yeah. So that happens. We begin Act 4 with them arriving back at the station, and Bashir beams Nollis straight to the infirmary. Kira rushes to Cisco's office to explain what happened, and they discover that, dun-dun-dun, Cisco is already on a Zoom with Gal Dukat. Ducat surprisingly announces that the Cardassian High Command has issued a formal apology for still having the prisoners of war. They're not in trouble. They're apologizing. And that they're sending the rest of the prisoners straight back to Bajor. And uh, they're both surprised and suspicious, as, uh, as one would think. So in the infirmary, Bashir has patched up Lee Nollis. Bashir is all curious about the old battles, and we we begin a little bit of the uh, showing the interest that Bashir has in uh, old timey battles. That's going to come up later, but uh, you don't need to know that yet, Mike. Okay. But uh, Nalus doesn't want to talk about it, and later Nalus and Cisco chat in the new replimat set because if you're going to do one scene, you might as well do two. We spent all that money, and a bunch of Bajorans gather. Then. Minister Jaro shows up in the form of the not-yet-canceled Frank Langella. And uh, he, first off, is super pissed at Kira because he she risked a war to rescue Nollis. The crowd has grown, trying to get Nollis to speak. Apparently, he's the Justin Bieber of Bajor. And uh, Jaro, though pissed, is not going to miss an opportunity to talk to the crowd because, of course, he is a politician. You know, hold on a second. Screw you, Frank Langella. First of all, screw you for being a creep. Let's get that, yes. But screw you, number two, this is like a really kind of good part. You bring like, you bring this sort of um, grandeur to it and really ground Mm -hmm. it. And it's, uh, it's an important high stake kind of political part. Why you gotta act like Star Trek's beneath you? I don't, don't credit me. My kids just told me to do it. Like, you're fine in it. It's fine. It's a great, go, go what, get over yourself. Uh, well, I don't know if the, his idea of doing it was that Star Trek was beneath him. I hope it wasn't. I mean, come on. It was in Masters of the Universe. Let's not get too high and mighty. Well, that's what I'm saying. What other reason would you want to go uncredited? Uh, I mean, certainly like it's a vanity thing. To do that, I don't. It's just it, it could have been many different flavors of, uh, of right. vanity, but okay. Anyway, 
Masters of the Universe also featured another future Star Trek star, but we'll talk about that later. Um, so Cisco brings Nollis into his quarters, and Nollis just wants some privacy and to be left alone. And uh, he says, this morning I was a slave and tonight I'm a hero, which is a pretty reasonable <laughs> reaction to uh, the experience that he's at. I think I would probably want a nap and a shower and not to be uh, have a thousand people going around me. But Cisco fills him in that everybody wants him to be the new leader of Bajor. And Nollis does not look thrilled at the prospect. And uh, late at Quark's, we go and we see Rom and Quark dividing up the profits. Naturally, Quark is screwing him uh, as they count their money. Now, now, Mike, do you remember what they're counting? Yes, these are gold-plated latinum bars. Gold-pressed latinum. Mm. Well played. Yes, and their ratio appears to be. Now, let's not forget, this is already, mm. Rom has already negotiated a bit more of a salary uh, when he tried to kill his brother because he earned some more respect for him mm -hmm, at that point. Mm -hmm. And so well, God knows what the ratio was before because it begins this scene, they're one to six. Mm -hmm. uh, one for you, six for me, and then ends the scene since Rom complained, uh, one for me, seven, or seven for me, one for you. So uh, not not great negotiating on Rom's part. No, it did, didn't go well. But of course, like I wonder, right, if Rom is an employee... Right. Did he invest in the bar or is he just an employee at the bar? Why would he get 50-50? Did did Quark buy the bar? That's these are all these are all good questions. See, you know, we're all we're all supposed to be like, you know, feeling for Rom here, getting screwed by Quark, but we don't know what the financial situation was setting it up. He's a, he's an employee, he's not an owner. But uh there it is. Just just a thought, just a thought. Uh but of course the show's perspective is Quark is screwing him. Rom leaves Quark. Leaves, then Quark is attached by a bunch of weirdos in robes and masks, and they brand his forehead with the symbol of the circle. Uh, so, what did you feel about our uh, our folks in masks here? Uh, I, I, I'm glad he only got branded because when they came in, it felt very. Um, it was like a mix between eyes wide shut. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh boy, um, they were gonna cart him off to a hollow suite. Am I right? Uh, or it gave me some uh, anonymous vibes. So, uh, you know, mm. I thought we might get like a kidnapping scenario, but they're apparently they're still in the, we just want our voices heard. We want to create sort of a a scary vibe with this uh, yes. this organization. So they're well, not- They were focusing on branding in both sense of the word. Yes, absolutely. hundred percent. Well done. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it uh, it's another sort of- um, oblique reference to the clan i think you yeah. know with the with the hood the sort of like anonymous element of it and the sort of theatricality of it i kind of wish um, that they hadn't been able to fix them so quick because it would have been i think more effective to have quark walking around with that brand for a while I, for sure for sure and i would imagine have they if if this was our our theatrical thing that we're going to do they would have to know that there's like it's a 30 second thing nobody like literally nobody may ever even see it um but you know that's that's what happens and we begin act five and bashir helps quark heal uh while everyone else watches and tries to figure out what's happening they fill nalas in on the circle and quark quite reasonably wants to sue but cisco shuts him down because uh Everyone treats Quark bad. Uh, 
Kira then tells Lee Nollis he needs to speak up against the extremists. In Cisco's quarters, we get a little update on the Jake situation, and we find out that Jake's date stood him up because her father, uh, that the date's father would not let her date a non-Bajoran. So uh, xenophobia is taking over Bajor like it's Florida. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, like, this is a part of a bigger story, but, like, this is a... I, I, I like this... I, I don't like this moment, but I think this moment is important because of the obvious ties into the real world, and it's a very sort of showing... Um, I, I think sometimes the emotional stakes and the sort of doom of a situation can be expressed well in these smaller stakes sometimes of, of you know, whether it's racism or xenophobia or whatever. Uh, a kid not having a date is somehow like a little bit more heartbreaking and really gets to you in a way that like maybe the branding is, feels more theatrical. This feels very human to me. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I apologize for the analogy I'm about to make because, but it's, I find sometimes, so here's an example. I, I find that sometimes it's also more emotionally, um, emotionally uh, resonant. Not resonant. Well, yes, uh, but personal in a way that it's, you can, um, it's bite-sized. You can capture it. You can, you can conceptualize it. I'll give you an example. Often, I, I often find myself um, watching uh, like World War II documentaries, and I find that the sort of sweeping large-scale um, filming of mm. like labor camps and things of that nature, death camps, just so overwhelming to my emotional core and my conceptualization of like how human beings can act that I almost have to like desensitize to it. Whereas yeah. if it's just a one-on-one -on -one interview about a person who was a kid who lost her family and had to run away, or it's the smaller yeah. stories that I'm able to just kind of pay a little bit more emotional attention because I don't have to kind of retreat. And I find that they learned mm. lessons here, uh, I think from the first season where, hey, you know, some of those smaller two-hander episodes where we, we, we shrunk down the emotional stakes into a more compartmentalized scene were really effective, well, especially towards the back, the back half of this in the season. So, so what they did here is they've got the large picture, the large scale story they're telling about the political sort of xenophobia and, and, and things, but then took this one scene, this very interesting moment to zoom in and tell it on the small scale. And I think that doing both in juxtaposition with one another is actually a really effective way to tell the story. No, I I, I think that's you, you, I think you're making the same point that that it really is. Sometimes it's the details. Sometimes it's the minutia that allows this sort of a thing to be digestible enough to have true empathy that isn't overwhelmed by the larger picture. I think that's a very good way of putting it. And as we've said before, uh, these two actors have incredible chemistry with one another. And so every time they use them to kind of tell a story, and, and also just like the stories about growing up, it's also just Jake's tale of his yeah. journey, um, which is a really specific journey. Like what's it like to grow up in a scenario like this? Uh, really, really cool and powerful. I love every time they're on screen together. Yep, yep, agreed. Then Cisco gets a call from a ship that was headed for the Gamma Quadrant and discovered a Bajoran trying to stow away. Turns out Lee Nollis was trying to make a run for it and was going to go into the Gamma Quadrant and disappear forever. Uh, and we uh, find out in, a, I think, a great scene here 
that the legend of Linalis was all just a misunderstanding. Uh, full off, go back one cool alien effect. Oh, totally for the uh, for the captain going like we definitely should have seen that again. Yep. There's, um, there's there's two alien effects here that are so good and just one-offs. Yep. It, it, never even seen on screen. It was just shown on the iPad. Also, I thought this was a really cool just like beat that maybe could have very easily ended up on the cutting room floor, but I think it was such a great uh, performance moment that they put it back in the cut where it just kind of gives us that because he just does a stretch and kind of a deep breath before he goes back to work. He just had a moment of being a dad and he has to yeah. bounce right back into being uh, the head of the head of the ship and you realize that like though he's very good at his job it is a it is a back-breakingly all the time 24 7 difficult job and i loved him taking that deep breath and just realizing that the pressure weighs always and it's it's it was a cool beat yeah well and it's 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 sort of back-to-back beats of showing humanity showing showing vulnerability and 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 you're right uh not the least of which how beautifully lit this whole yeah. set is um so uh anyway Nellis explains that the legend is just a misunderstanding and that the legend took a life of its own when he was really just a regular dude um that uh, it all started with that he killed a cardassian general but it was all just sort of happenstance and people thought he was this badass and he wasn't and he became a symbol and he allowed the symbol to continue uh for the good of bajor while they were going through the occupation, but he doesn't want to continue it. Uh, and Cisco says that Bajor needs him to keep it up. Uh, a lie is uh, still a legend here, and that he says legends are as powerful as any proof, which um, is true. I mean, the the it's a the symbolism is sometimes more important than the actual event because it holds power. And uh, the next morning on Ops, as Mike fights with uh, with oh. uh, screenshots, that's all right. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Uh, Lee Nollis and Minister Jaro show up. And Nollis has been given a fancy new title they invented for him, a Navark. Come on. And, and we see that Nollis has decided to play his part. Hold on just a minute. Let me see if I can't get back to these. So sad. Come on, OBS. Be better. I I believe. I believe. Okay, we're getting there. Here we go. Mm -hmm. This is him telling a story still. Yep. Yeah. Actually, you know what's great about this, too, is that I thought the the tale was... It it was a really well-written monologue, because not only does he feel sort of like he didn't earn his reputation, but more so, you get a little... He had a recognition of the humanity of the Cardassians, where... He, here's this guy who he's hunting or he's they're fighting against, but he was just like taking a bath and he was nude and he the, the look on his face when he shot him was embarrassment. I thought that was such a yeah. human moment for the captor to be recognizing about his captee or the captee to be recognizing about his captor um, and how the shame he felt in killing this person and that becoming what his legend is based on, I thought was once, like you had mentioned, a really nice human moment written yeah. in a really well-written episode. Uh, the dialogue is less clunky than sometimes we've seen. Yeah. And, you know, and in that screenshot you had right there, the the lighting and depth of focus there, mm-hmm. so good. 
Yeah, I had I had a bit of a a question about why they never because because it is it is a dialogue there. Ben has a lot to say, but they kept him out of focus the whole shot, and it's a long shot. We talked about it before, and you you know you explained to me that you think that was directorially chosen so that we keep our focus in the foreground, and it makes sense. Yeah. It just I wanted to note that it is an interesting that's a it's an interesting shot to watch because it's it's very it's very stylized. Yeah. Yeah, very very arty as opposed to cutting back and forth. Mm-hmm. And it was I, I actually liked it. So uh anyway, uh Lee Nellis and Mr. Jaro show up. Then of course Jaro announces that Nollis has been appointed the new Bajoran liaison officer and will replace Kira. And that brings us to our dun 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 to be continued. Uh, Mike, we are not just in a two-parter. We are in a three-parter here on Deep Space Nine. You you said you wanted to be more serialized, and boy, are you getting your dream. Now it is time for your nightmare in, of course, everybody's favorite segment, Mike Star Trek Vocab Quiz. And now now it's time time for for Mike and Deglio's Star Trek Trek Vocabulary Vocabulary Quiz. All right, Mike, what is a Navark? A Navark is this new thing that Linalis is, which basically is like you're a, you're a, you're a somebody, somebody. And so he's <laughs> now going to be that and the liaison to the station. Okay. And next up, this one's hard. What are roulot seeds? Well, that's the... Uh, the things they're planting in, in the holes that they're built digging in the in the in the camp in the beginning? Question? No. No, no, very much wrong. They were mining. Uh, Rulot seeds when she was bluffing the Cardassian and saying oh, that she, she had she was delivering Rulot seeds, which are seeds of some sort. Uh, all right, folks. I think it's time to come along home, Mike. Absolutely. That was well-timed, Keith, by the way. Mm. Okay. Here we are. You know what? We talked about the, uh, the show getting... And expanding its set. And here we are. We have expanded our set. We are going to be doing the Alamoremis from Quarks. Yes. Because uh, we did it on 10 Forward for season one. Because, look, we were we were trying to con- make the connections between the popular yeah, show, the next generation, Deep Space <clears throat> Nine. But now we got the note. We got the note from Michael Peller. It is time to make our stories more Deep Space Nine specific. So this is where two we're going to one out. Me and my boy. Get some two rock the Genos, maybe a black hole. And uh, here we are in Quarks. And we begin, as always, Mike, were there any wormholes in the plot? Well, you know, we talked a little bit about in the beginning. Uh, I, I talked about um, O'Brien's shot and the phaser. The, the whole, like, the pew-pews doesn't always make a lot of sense to me. But that isn't just, that isn't, that isn't just Star Trek here. That's, that happens in Star Wars. That happens in all future things. Like, the how the weapons work and stuff. Not, not specifically making sense. But... The only other thing I would say, and I think uh, you agree, uh, I don't quite understand. Clearly, they wanted to keep this 
guy prisoner because they didn't want to give him back because they knew he, what kind of a war hero symbol he would be. So, like, why not, like, keep him in a prison or, like, hide him somewhere or all of these prisoners? They just have them out in, like, a work camp that clearly can be found. Um, so, and, like, having them move rocks, like, couldn't, it, well, that seems, pr- like, unnecessary. I mean, that doesn't make a lot of sense. On top of, it was way too easy to rescue them. She made it seem like it was, like, this death, this suicide mission they're going on. And then they were just, like, beep, a couple pew pews and they're out. And there was like, all it took was like one hot chick to like get the force field down. It just seemed a little easy. Yeah, no, for sure. That, that I think that they could have done a whole episode about rescuing Lee Nollis and having a big yeah. battle and a big, you know, subterfuge and breaking in. Like that would have been a great, I think that probably would have been a better season one opener. I think all the information yeah. that we got in this could have been told in five minutes right, about what's going on with Bajor, this, that, the other thing. And we could have ended this with the rescue of Lee Nollis and the reveal that he's a fake. But we could have spent yeah. 30 minutes on, I think that would have been a much better uh, season opener. Um, so, uh, yes, in terms of the the wormhole of it all, yeah, the, the Cardassians' reason for all of this doesn't make any sense to me. Right, we're we're in the future. Their their whole empire, they have yeah. warp drive, right? Of what use are twelve people picking up rocks and putting them into baskets? What are the rocks? Can't they be mined in a different way? What like if they're just right there on the surface? Like what 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 is the purpose of all of that? Right? And what difference is twelve people going to have anyway? And if you wanted to hide Lee Nollis, kill him. It's the Cardassians. They do that stuff all the time. There's literally no reason to have him stay alive, right? If if they're afraid of him, kill him. If they're, you know, so that 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 does sort of beg the question. Well, why didn't they? Why why why? So maybe there are answers coming as to why they were bothering to do all of this. Um, but certainly as a standalone episode, I'm like, huh. Um, but yes. Uh, uh, that would be my my rewrite. Yeah, I mean, I guess my uh, the the not kill him thing. You know, I don't know still where Galdicott sits in all of this, and I know we're always very skeptical of him, and even in, but we see him in this episode, and he's trying to lead us to believe that they they were we didn't know, and maybe there's some truth. Maybe he is trying to barter. Maybe they were going to use him as like a a, a bargaining chip or something. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's some sure. political reasons to keep him alive. So it, that didn't like bug me too bad but anyway all right so that's that's our wormholes i think okay mike what was your best moment you know i kind of i I definitely changed last time we recorded this episode (laughs) i i thought it was his big monologue which i Mm -hmm. did love i still do love but you know what and i think you might bring this up too i can't remember what you said to be honest the, the, I don't either. the moment we talked about the most this episode where they zoom in and it's jake and cisco discussing sort of the themes of the plot, but really about a girl and not being accepted. And it's not about that. It's not really about the girl not being able to go out with him. It's the dad or the reasons. And it doesn't need too much depth. We don't need to discuss it too much. Doesn't need long of a scene. We get what we're getting from it. Um, I just thought it was beautiful. I love every time they have a scene together. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I mean, I I think the monologue where he reveals that that Lee, or Lee Nollis reveals that it was all a fake. That's a great scene. Um, I I thought the, uh, you know what I 
I think from the standpoint of like, what do I think is the best moment? Yes, I think it is a father-son moment there. I think it's just sort of the showing the humanity and the vulnerability late at night. But just for the sake of being contrary, I'm going to go with the pew-pew scene because it was a kick-ass, you know, by Star Trek standards. Yeah. Uh, Phaser fight. And we haven't really had that before. I thought it looked great. I thought it um, the effects looked great. The, the, the setting looked great. They did some rolling around and some zappy zap, and that was fun. And I, I like that as a as a little little thing to have in your season two opener. So that would be my best moment, just for fun. So uh, I think there's only one more thing to do, and that is to hand out some self-sealing stem bolts, Michael. So I have no problems with the episode. I thought the episode's good. I think the performances are good. I think... There was no big twisty twists. They they raise a lot of good questions. I think they introduce sort of a big bad in the, uh, what's the name of the cult? The Circle. In the Circle. I think they introduce an interesting character in Linalis. I think they inter- in, introduce uh, a cool twist at the end, a, a, a cliffhanger with what's going to happen with Kira. Is she off the ship? How's it going to play out? Uh, the Galdukat stuff left. Great questions. Great. It set the table very nicely for a, a few multiple plot threads. Very cool. The issue you get when you do that, when you set the table a bunch, is that it loses a bit of a focus. Um, it's not about one thing, and so it's hard to sort of really uh, take too much out of it. It's obviously it's obviously part of a larger arc, which is what I asked for. Um, so I don't have any big any qualms with it. Um, it wasn't edge of your seat in any sort of way. And 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 the thing I will say is that. I'm glad we're getting a, a, a Deep Space Nine specific plot, but there were a couple. There are a couple threads that feel a little samey, in that we got another politician on the ship um, who's you may potentially taking advantage of a situation that's arisen for their own political gain, which we kind of just got at the end of last season. Right, right. Uh, there's, got, a, there's an overlap there between Jaro and uh, Win. Yeah, and also the sort of like we already had a plot thread earlier in season one about. Um, someone's reputation and how that reputation can be used as a political weapon in some ways to rally the troops. We kind of already did that um, in season one. So there's a little samey vibes, but, but these are, these, this, it, the, the, they, things can exist multiple times. I'm not, I'm not thrown off by those. I'm just saying they're not new ideas to the, to the series. And so, you know, I'm not, uh, overly interested in that stuff but i am in where we're going so that all said i think it's a good table setter episode so i can't i'm not gonna throw it a ton of self-stealing self-sealing stem bolts because we have to get where we're going see if they stick to the landing so i'm gonna say 70.8 self-sealing stem bolts 70.8 okay is that close to uh, what i said last time well uh we had we had a bit of a drift Right, you lost. We lost 1.2 mm. stem bolts right. uh, as as we rebuilt the episode. <laughs> so you know they break. You know using them, so uh, we shouldn't have to reassemble an episode that way. We're not hemorrhaging stem uh, self sealing stem bolts. Um, yeah, well, you Sh- know, we shouldn't have to fix them if the stem bolts are self sealing. Well, you shouldn't have had to fix them in the first place. But here uh, they that's are. true. Unfortunately, our brains were self sealing. Yeah, uh, yeah, I. I <laughs> it's actually going to shed a couple too for me um, talking about it because less a judgment of this episode 
and more really thinking through what the episode could have been, mm. right? That there are um, there are some repeated beats here. Just there was a lot of what felt like filler, right? The you know because we we have the vandalism with the circle and then we have the branding. Well, yes, it is. There is an escalation to some extent, but not enough of a, an escalation to repeat the beat. You have, um, you know, you're, you're setting up Jaro as as the you know like I don't know is this a bad guy? Is it a good guy? Whatever as the as the political minister. Well, we so we did that with with Kai Win, and I thought in a much more interesting way at this point. Um, but we don't, you know, we don't really know where it's going. It probably could have all been done in one scene as opposed to two or three. And um, and, and so we could have told the impending doom of the circle and the instability on Bajor, um, you know, ri- rising xenophobia and hate and the crumbling government. We totally could have done that faster and allowed us to have a much more satisfying rescue, right? It's the season opener. Let's do, we're going to do a rescue, right? We're going to do a, a death-defying, you know, crazy James Bond rescue. Well, let's do it. Yeah. Right? Let's do it. And and we didn't. That whole sequence took about six minutes of a 46-minute episode. And the rest of it felt much more like filler. We didn't need three scenes with Lee Nollis expressing reservations, right? Have just catch him leaving, do the monologue. So, you know, I, I think you, you set up what's going on in the first five minutes. You know, you, you set up the doom, you set up the peril on Bajor. We have a solution. Let's go rescue it. We spend the next 30 minutes on a really exciting, cool rescue sequence. Then the last five minutes, we've arrived at the station. We got away. We did it. That's great. And right then, like, oh, wait, I'm not real. And yeah. that's how we end the episode. And that's a much more interesting way to, to do that and structure that. And also, like, we only got, like, one little scene of Odo being like, oh, he, I mean, he doesn't even talk about, like, he's just like, well, this is usually a safe area. But then in the very next scene, the circle is able to get to Quark. So, like, what we didn't hear well, anything and, about their plan to address the circle. And why wasn't Odo a part of the rescue? I mean, you know who would yeah. be really useful in that would be Odo. Yeah, so it, it feels like there's nothing, like you said, there's nothing wrong with this episode. There's nothing bad about this episode, but I do feel like there's just a lot of opportunities missed. And, you know, this is why it's a season two episode and not a season five episode, mm. because it didn't have the the gravitas yet that it got later. And if this were a season five episode, it probably would have been structured exactly like I said. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so this felt a little bit too tied to the sort of slow, talkier version of Trek. And uh, so it's fine, but I, I just wish that it had been the episode that I just wrote in my head. Yeah. So okay. uh, for Fair. that, you get 71 self-sealing stem bolts. So, uh, Mike, next week we have the thrilling continuation Can't of wait. this story. In an episode called The Circle. Yeah, okay. So, uh, Getting right to it, un- then. Unless this crashes and we have to do this episode a third time, I don't we think will so. see you back okay. next week with Deep Space Nine Season 2, Episode 2, The Circle. Uh, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash K&M. Spell out that and get all of our fun nonsense. 
but uh, other than that, just you know, give us a like, give us a subscribe, stay here on the feed, and uh, we will see you back next week. Till then, this has been Keith and Mike. Watch Deep Space Nine. Thank you for watching KM Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash KM.